when God wanted to reveal himself to us, he sent Jesus into this world. And one of the things that Jesus is known for above all else is the love of God that he reveals to everybody. There's only one word that can answer our questions about life. What really matters in life? It's love. It's, it's, it's that love that really matters. We all want to be loved, and we all want somebody to love. Life is about love. And if there's anything that the devil hates, it's love. If there's anything that causes people to want to procreate, it's love. If there's anything we look for in a mate, it's love. If there's anything that children are awaiting, it's love. It is really that indescribable concept that is not about feelings, but you don't understand it until you really know Jesus Christ. Now, you may know feelings and you may know loyalty, but you really don't understand love until you know God. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, stand with me as I read to you this morning from the book of 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. Now, John is writing to some Christians that have from the contradicting, he's, he's having to write about some false teaching that has come into the church. And so he starts by saying to them, you belong to God, my dear children. You've already won a victory over these people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. In other words, the Holy Spirit that lives in you is greater than the power of the devil. So they speak from the world's viewpoint and the world listens to them. But we belong to God, and those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. That is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. So, dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God, and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Would you read that last sentence with me, beginning with dear friends? Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God, and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. Earlier this week, I had lunch with two attorneys, brilliant guys. One of them, he and I share a love for colonial history and Puritan history. We're both fascinated by the preaching of men like George Whitfield and John Wesley were both fascinated by that period of time in history before the Revolutionary War and how our country was founded. As we talked about the founding fathers and those founding documents, you know, James Madison came up. And James Madison wrote these words, and they're on the screen, and they're in your outline as well if you want to follow along. These are the words that James Madison wrote. We have staked the whole future of American civilization, not upon the power of government, far from it. Now, that's an important phrase that President Madison wrote. Not upon the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future of all of our political institutions upon the capacity of mankind for self-government, upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves and to control ourselves and to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. In other words, the government of the United States was founded upon the principles found in the Ten Commandments. And you can extrapolate those principles and to all of the laws that are good and godly laws. If you look again at what President Madison wrote, the belief in God the belief in God, all-powerful, wise, and good, is so essential to the moral order of the world and to the happiness of man 
that arguments which enforce it cannot be drawn from too many sources nor adapted with too much solicitude to the different characters and capacities to be impressed with it. And friends, what you have to understand is our country, you just must understand this, was not founded upon religion. It was founded upon the Christian God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is revealed in Jesus Christ and in His Word. And what President Madison was essentially saying is the wisdom of God is essential to our lives. The wisdom of God is essential to our lives. Now, that word essential means it's necessary, it's vital. You can't live without it. It's essential to our lives. President Madison said that he used that phrase of, that somehow or another we were able to govern ourselves. I don't know if you ever find yourself in any place in life where you can't govern yourself. My daughter made the best brownies I've ever eaten just recently. And she stacked them up in a crystal clear cake platter with a little dome over it. And every time I would walk into the kitchen, which is frequently, there would be those brownies. Sometimes I just found it absolutely impossible to govern myself because there was temptation saying, take me, eat me, enjoy me. And so one day I counted when I went to get my fourth brownie. I said, I've already eaten three today. I need to govern myself. It's sometimes difficult, you know? It's, it's like that brownie means I've got to walk an extra mile to get that off of my waistline, off of my hip line or whatever, you know, to keep myself healthy. I think you would agree with me, sometimes it's hard to govern ourselves. However, if I did not have the knowledge and the wisdom to know that what I'm putting into my body is affecting my health, my physical health, I would probably go, you know, what does it matter? Just eat all the brownies your life wants because life consists in the, diff, in, in the, in the deliciousness and the taste of deep, dark chocolate fudge brownies. You want one right now, don't you? Govern yourself. It's that temptation that comes to us. You see, the wisdom of God humbles me. When I was a young dad and our three sons, or, well, at that time it was just our two sons, Andrew and Christopher, there was a cartoon on called Master of the Universe. And sometimes they would jump up on the sofa and one of them would put his hands on his hips and say, I'm the master of the universe. And the other boy would grab them and pull him down and they'd begin to tussle and then he'd jump up on the sofa and say, oh, I'm the master of the universe. I think we're all born with that desire. We want to be the master of the universe. I mean, if you don't please me, I'm going to cry and scream until you finally come and pick me up, feed me, rock me, whatever it is. We learn as babies, we can control these gigantic adults that come into our room and take care of our every need. And we grow up thinking we're the master of the universe. The wisdom of God helps us to see that we are puny creations. We are proud of our minds as we should be. We are proud of our accomplishments as we should be. But we understand in the wisdom of God that we want God to come and take charge of our life. We resign as master of the universe and we surrender to the will of God and want to live for his glory. You know, the wise men are a picture of this for me. Here were these brilliant, brilliant men 
who lived in Babylon far away from Israel. Here were these brilliant men who studied and somehow another, and perhaps it was from when Israel had been exiled from uh, their nation and the Jewish people were living in the dispersion in Babylon. These ancient wise men that we only think about at Christmas time, they were studying the scriptures. They come across a copy of the scriptures and in their desire, in their and their wisdom to know they needed knowledge, they began to study the scriptures in addition to everything else they studied. And because they were studying, they came across a passage that stood out to them. And about that time, there was a great star shining in the heavens. And they looked at the scripture. They looked at the stars. They were seeking for knowledge. So they followed the star. And they understood that someone was going to be born known as the king of the Jews. What fascinates me with that is here are these pagan philosophers we call the wise men. They traveled with incredible wealth. They had to be able to support themselves, have a team of people that supported them as they crossed the deserts and the wilderness to get to Jerusalem. And there the religious wise people and the religious king had no clue that Christ has been born in Bethlehem. But these men who craved knowledge, they found the king, and they bowed and they worshiped at his feet. They gave lavish gifts. You know them as gold and frankincense and myrrh. And they worshiped Jesus. And for me, it's one of the most wonderful pictures. They understood that the wisdom of God is essential to life, but it's also a picture of God's grace reaching out to seekers, God's grace reaching out to people who know, above all, I need to know the Lord. And God reached down and saved three Gentile pagan philosophers. It makes me think of Proverbs chapter 2. Look at this with me this morning. Cry out for insight. Ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord, and you will gain knowledge of God. On our family night this week, we watched an old movie called The Apple Dumpling Gang, an old Walt Disney movie. I had never seen the movie before. But there was this mind that these three children had inherited, and everybody said the mine was dry. There was no more gold in that mine. And those three children just believed their father that told them there was still gold in that mine. And they found this gigantic gold nugget in the mine. And from there, it just gets hilarious as people try to get their gold. I watched that movie and I thought about the message this morning in the book of Proverbs, how people seek for silver and how people seek for gold, when the true wisdom to be found is to be found in Christ and those who seek him will find him. In Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, the Bible says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And then God goes on to say, you have rejected knowledge. In other words, if we don't really know the wisdom of God and understand what God's Word says, and we reject the wisdom of God, what happens is our children become darker. We grow up in our families, and we don't bring them to church. We don't have family devotions. We don't teach our children. And so they grow up in a darkness without Christ, and they no longer know how to navigate the realities of the world. You see, knowledge allows me to drive a car. Knowledge allows me to, to swing a golf club. I've had to take lessons from time to time to get knowledge. I tried to learn to play the trumpet. I got a good trumpet teacher, 
but I can't play the trumpet. I tried to learn how to, to play tennis, and I got tired of having to go chase the tennis balls outside the tennis court, so I gave up on tennis. When I took up golf, I got a good golf teacher, and he would teach me all kinds of things about golf, and I'm still not a good golfer, but every once in a while, I'd hit a really good shot, and my golf instructor would say, it's not because you're a good golfer, but you did everything I told you to do that time. Now, practice that over and over and over again. That was kind of humbling. Because of that moment, it was like getting a shot of adrenaline in my arm. I felt like I was Tiger Woods. It was the knowledge, and it was learning how to practice that knowledge. You see, without the knowledge of salvation, without the knowledge of salvation, not only are we doomed to perish, but our children are doomed to perish. A nation is doomed to perish. The nations of the world are doomed to perish. In the first service this morning, one of our board members, Dr. Rodney Gilreath, quoted a verse of scripture when he said, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of salvation. You see, the knowledge of salvation, the knowledge that you and I were born in sin, the knowledge that you and I need a Savior, the knowledge that if we die without Christ, we suffer an eternity apart from Christ, the knowledge of what builds a good life, what builds a good marriage, the knowledge of what makes life worth living. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity stands and falls upon Jesus Christ. And Jesus continually challenged people, see if you can find any hypocrisy in me. But they never could find any hypocrisy in Christ because God is love and he lived that love. One of the attorneys I was speaking about this week, that I was speaking about earlier in the message, his wife taught Judge Amy Comey Barrett, soon to be Justice Amy Comey Barrett if the Senate confirms her. And I said to him, after he told me that, she taught her at Notre Dame, I said, how in the world does she remember this young woman in her law class? He goes, oh, he said, I asked my wife the same question. He said, every professor remembers your best student and your worst student. And Judge Barrett was her best student that she'd ever had. I thought about Judge Barrett's testimony of faith. I've thought about how one senator from California said of her when she was confirmed to a lower court, said the dogma lives deeply in you as though that was an insult, as though somehow or another that her knowledge of God, her love for God, her love for the Bible. I think President James Madison would have agreed with her. I think President John Adams would agree with her. I know this morning I agree. I want the gospel of Jesus Christ to live deeply within me, and I want it to live deeply within the body of Christ today. And I marveled under intense questioning of her, of her implacability. I marveled at how she handled herself. She not only had wisdom, which is essential to life, wisdom of God, wisdom of God's love, but she also had a personal firsthand experience with something that every one of us need, and that's God's love. It is essential to our lives. It's not enough if you're a doctor to know medicine. It's not enough if you're a scientist to know science. It's not enough if you're a preacher to know theology. It's not enough to know things. You've got to know the love of God. In 1 Corinthians 8, listen to what Paul says, because this is going to sound almost contradictory to what I said earlier. Knowledge 
puffs up. We used to have these snakes back home. We called them puff adders. And when they felt threatened, they would puff up. Or when you came up on one of them, they'd puff up and get bigger than what they really were and trying to ward off predators. Knowledge puffs us up and makes us think we're more than what we are. It's why Paul says, be careful with knowledge. Because if you don't recognize the love of God and who you are in the presence of God, well, we're living in a time, now I want you to listen because I didn't have time to tell the first service this, and you need to get this. We're living in a time when it's no longer knowledge or science, but we're living in a time where as one thinker writes, we're living in a period of conceptualism. Knowledge is not important anymore, but what I conceive about truth, my conceptions of truth, my conceptions of who I am, my conceptions of the universe, and science can't work on conceptualism. Psychology can't work on conceptualism. We need the knowledge of the Word of God, but we also need to understand the love of God. Listen to what a theologian by the name of Charles Hodge wrote, and see if you don't find it somewhat shocking as I did when I first read it years ago. To know God is to love Him, and to love Him is to know Him. Love is intelligent, and knowledge is emotional. Let me read that again. Love is intelligent, and knowledge is emotional. Well, that flies in the face of everything that, as a young person, I thought about love, it flies in everything of the current songs about love that I listen to on the radio. As a matter of fact, we saw an evolution of songs. Where is the love? Right down to what is love? You see, love is not a feeling. Look at me. Love is not a feeling. But Hodge is on to something when he writes, but knowledge is emotional. Because knowledge can puff you up and make you proud. Knowledge can puff you up and make you vain. You're proud of what you know, and therefore you look down upon others who are not as intelligent as you are. Back when we used to take students on missionary trips, one of the things we had to tell students over and over, you're going to go into countries that are poor. You're going to go into countries where people have barely nothing. And you're going to think because of your good clothes, your good shoes, your good education, you're going to think that somehow or another you're smarter and you're better than these folks. But you and I could not live where they live at because we don't have the knowledge that they have. We don't have the experience that they have. And we need to remember, we don't go as someone superior. We go humbly before God, and we go to wash their feet as well. You see, knowledge has a tendency to make us proud. We're the greatest. We're the best. There but for the grace of God go you and me. You see, knowledge is what made a Pharisee go, oh God. Doesn't this sound so religious? Oh God. I thank you that I tithe, I thank you that I do all these good works and that I'm not like this lousy sinner next to me. See, there was no love in that because love sometimes does what it knows to do whether it feels like it or not. Love is intelligent. Knowledge is emotional. And you've got to build your, re your life upon the reality First John chapter 4 and verse 7. Let me read it to you again. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love 
does not know God, for God is love. You know, it's awesome to me to think, just track with me for a moment. It's awesome for me to think right now that God's love is manifested when we love each other. God's love is manifested in our love and our service to one another. God's love is manifested not just in signs and wonders, and that's what everybody always says, boy, I'd like to see a miracle. Boy, I'd like to see this. Or Sometimes people say, Pastor, tell me about miracles you've seen, and I don't mind telling you about those things. But friends, if miracles were going to save America, if miracles were going to revive America, America would be revived already. What the world is waiting for is an intelligent demonstration of the love of God that is shed abroad in the hearts of his sons and his daughters. That as we love and we serve one another. You say, Pastor, what is love? Well, look with me at 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9 this morning. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. Underline that in your outline. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. Let me wrap this up this morning. If you look at your growth work. So I thought I was going to talk about when I first started writing the series. God is greater than hell. God is greater than the devil. God is greater than death. God is greater than sickness. God is greater. I mean, th- those were the thoughts that at first consumed me. And, you know, and I put all of that, you know, in a file. And I'll come back to some of it later. But where the word took me was God's great forgiveness and God's great and amazing love, which made me ask myself this question, what's really real in life? What's really real in life? We think of the material world as real. We think of the things we can see, taste, touch, feel. We think of those that are real. But Jesus shows us in his own life a different kind of reality. Before Jesus chose his disciples, he spent the night in prayer. Before Jesus made some decisions, he spent the night in prayer before an invisible God. And that invisible heavenly father strengthened him and filled him with might. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we're even told that angels came along. There is a realm that you and I cannot see. It's called the realm of the spirit. And there is we live in the presence of God and we pray our father which art in heaven. A friend of mine last night went through a crisis in life. He went through a dark, dark crisis and alone and afraid. And he thought, said this morning, he said, I spent the night praying the Lord's Prayer over and over. And I thought about each word of the Lord's Prayer as I prayed it through over and over. He said, I found myself praying for my wife and for my family and friends as well as I prayed this prayer. There is strength. What is real? All that we see will one day pass away. I've done over a thousand funerals. And everybody has left everything behind. John Wesley was touring the estate of a nobleman, Wesley, who loved the coal miners, Wesley, who went and worked among the alcoholics, Wesley, who preached the gospel, Wesley, who traveled all over Great Britain, was a missionary to my home state of Georgia. John Wesley, after he toured this great estate of this nobleman and couldn't see everything that was there, that night they were at dinner and his host asked him, he said, well, Reverend Wesley, what do you think about everything you saw today? And Wesley looked at this very wealthy man and he says, I think you're going to have a hard time leading this. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you today, if we live in the world of the visible only without the knowledge of God and the knowledge of salvation, we will die paupers because we will leave everything behind. But if we die in faith in Jesus Christ, we have heaven to gain and to see the presence and the face of God. <laughs> Jesus even spoke about it in Luke chapter 12. He says to a man, look at this, self, you've done well. You've got it made and can now retire. Do you know how many people I meet that just, they're so happy they're retiring? They're leaving Michigan and they're going to live on a beach in Florida and get the tan they've always wanted. They're going to play golf. They're going to play shuffleboard. They're moving to a retirement community in Arizona where it's perpetually warm and sunny. Retirement, take it easy. You've done well. Have the time of your life. And just then, God shows up and says, fool, tonight you die, and your barn full of goods. Who gets it? Who gets it? <laughs> Who gets it? Friends, if there's anything I want to hear, if there's anything I want you to hear, I'm your pastor, I love you. I want you to hear these words from Christ. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Secondly, who has the good life? I mean, God wants to bless you. I just mentioned the Beatitudes a few moments ago. Jesus started the Beatitudes by preaching and teaching. God wants to bless your life. He says you will be blessed if you do all of these things. But listen to the book of Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 10. My child, listen to me. Do as I say and you will have a long, good life. A long, circle that in your outline this morning, a long, good life. I don't want to just live a long life. I want to live a good life. I want to live a life full of the goodness of God and the goodness of His Word. I want to walk not just living for length of days, but to live a good life. Becky and I have two friends that are in heaven. We knew them as brother and sister white. I mean, we knew their first names, but they were like venerated saints among us. We loved brother and sister white. Sister white led a prayer service every week for the ladies. Brother and sister white would go to all the hospitals and visit. He was feeble. They lived in a government-subsidized apartment. They were poor. They lived in a government-subsidized apartment, and there were times when they would have us over to their little simple apartment and, and we would eat soup and cornbread with them and peach cobbler and we enjoyed their fellowship so much. We loved them deeply. And I can remember sometimes when I would back our car out of their driveway and I'd think to myself, oh God, I love them so much. But please don't let me come to the end of my life living as poorly in the world's material realms as they live. Then I came to know Brother White's whole story. He was a gambler and a pimp in the good old days as they called them. He was a man about town, a man of influence, man who lived on the dark, shady side of life. When he heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he turned from a violent and a wicked life, and he confessed Christ as his Savior. I mean, for Brother White, 
the good life was fast money, fast women, fast cars. He married a saint of a woman. And today, they have a son and two grandsons that are pastors. You see, what's a good life? Is it the wealth of this world? Is it good health? Or is a good life knowing the love of God and serving Him and serving others? I mean, who's a good person? Who's a good person? I mean, people come to me sometime and they say, oh, pastor, you're such a good man. And I appreciate that. I never just try to act all humble. I say, well, thank you. But I often add to this, as I did with someone who came to me in our community this week and said those very kind words, if you see anything good in me, it's because of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, I really don't think you would have liked me if it hadn't been for the change that Jesus made in my life. And you say, why? Look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. You mean, Pastor, there's sin in my life if I'm not a Christian? There's sin in your life if you are a Christian? And let's be honest, if you haven't given your life to Christ, your life is fully controlled by sin. Christian sin, we, we have to go and ask the Lord to forgive us each and every day. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us of our sins. I mean, don't let that miss you, especially if you're a Christian. Because if not, your knowledge of salvation will puff you up and make you think you're better. That's the reason that <clears throat> maybe some people have called you a holy Joe. Or maybe made you or said to you, you think you're better. Christians have to deal with the fact that we sin. Hopefully we sin less and less as we grow older. But as we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. But if you're not a Christian, don't take this as an insult, but Christ died for your sins, my sins. He never sinned, but he died for us sinners, I, myself included. He died for us to bring us safely home to God. Christ is the only one that can bring you home to God. Christ is the only one that can take you to heaven. John Stott, in his book, The Cross of Christ, he said the fact that a cross became the Christian symbol and that Christians stubbornly refused, in spite of the ridicule, to discard in favor of something less offensive can have only one explanation. It means that the centrality of the cross originated in the mind of Jesus himself. It was out of loyalty to him that his followers clung so doggedly to this sign. You see, why? I see rock stars wearing crosses. I see business people. I, it's a piece of jewelry. Oh, no. Imagine if you and I were to walk around with an electric chair hanging on our chest. Somebody says, why are you wearing an electric chair? That's a cruel way to die. The cross was the cruelest form of death. And to us it becomes precious because what Christ did for us. So how do I become a good person? Hmm. You commit your life to Christ. 
you let Christ come into your heart, you accept what he did for you. And Deuteronomy chapter 6 really explains it all. Listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, all your soul. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to the commands that I'm giving you today. And how do you do it? Just like we said at the beginning of this message. Do everything with love. Do everything with love. Would you stand with me this morning and let me pray for you? I don't know if you've ever asked Christ to come into your heart. Recently, my wife got the chance to pray with someone to give their heart to Jesus. I had the chance to pray with someone to give their heart to Jesus, and the difference that God made in their lives is absolutely incredible. You see, sin is this power at work in us. It's not just the things we do. It's this power at work within us. It's why people hate. It's why people fight. It's why people are at cross with one another. Religion will never save you, but Jesus Christ will save you as you confess your sins and you acknowledge him. So I'm going to ask you right now, if you would, would you bow your heads? And those of you in the sanctuary today, would you bow your heads with me? And let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the knowledge that you've given us in your word of yourself. And that even the heavens declare your glory. I thank you for the knowledge that you've sent Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, we see, Lord, what you're really like. You love us, you forgive us, you save us, you heal us. You suffered, you bled and died for us. You rose again from the third day, on the third day. I thank you. And now that I have that knowledge, I want to commit my life to you. And if you share that, would you pray this prayer with me? I mean, I'm praying with you right now. Say, God, I regret so many decisions in my life. I regret the mistakes, the sins, the words, the deeds, the places I've been, the things I've done. I have messed up in life. But I thank you that I also know that you love me. And the most intelligent thing to do is to trust in what Christ did for me at Calvary. So I ask you right now, forgive my sins. Make me a brand new person. And as much as I know how, I put my trust in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, your heads are still bowed. No one's looking around. I don't often do this. But I want you to think for just a moment. 
You just gave your heart to Jesus. You just asked him to come into your heart. The man behind the camera this morning wasn't too long ago that he gave his heart to Christ. And boy, what a difference God's made in his life. The two pastors that came up and prayed with you over communion, I know their stories. What a difference Christ has made in their lives. If you knew my story, you'd say, oh, now I understand why you said I would have never liked you. You see, that's the difference Jesus makes. So God doesn't want you to go around ashamed. God doesn't want you to go around somehow or another hanging your head like Eeyore the donkey. God wants the joy of the Lord to be your strength. That you live with the joy of Tigger jumping up and down because the most wonderful thing about life is Jesus Christ who lives in you. So I want to pray one more time not only for you, but for all of us in this room today. Father, you know every story. You know every heart. You know every brokenness. You know every painful memory. You know everything about us. And yet you loved us while we were still in our sins and transgressions. What? A wonderful story of love. So I pray that, Father, that behind every prayer where a will was surrendered to your will, where a heart was filled with your love, God, where a commitment was made not only to trust in you, but to do everything in love. I pray that your wonderful Holy Spirit that fills all the vastness and emptiness of space will light a flame in each of our hearts and fill us with the overwhelming love of God. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Would you join me now? And I just want to sing a chorus. And if you want to join me at home and join us here in the church, I'm just going to lift my hands and We're going to sing an old chorus called, I need thee, I need thee, every hour I need thee. We'll sing it through one time, and then I'll sing it one more time. Let's sing together. I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to Thee. Let's sing it again. I need Thee, oh, I need Thee. I need Thee, oh, I need Thee. Every hour I need Thee. Every hour I need Thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to Thee. I come to Thee. You see... God 
wants to bless you. And that's the reason after Jesus said, called his disciples, he'd spent that night in prayer. He started out his entire ministry by saying, blessed are you. And today, you are blessed. Those of you here today, you are blessed. Can you say amen? Let's go in the grace and the love of Jesus Christ today. God bless you. You're dismissed.